Just grab something with the, the word of the Lord on it and open it up in your hands this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8. Now, we were originally going to start the summer psalms at this point. Uh, we're gonna, in the summer, we ended up working through the psalms. But uh, I figured we needed to finish chapter 8 of Luke before we took this big break, particularly since uh, it's part of what is kind of a, a, a trilogy. Not that there's truly trilogies in the scripture, but a, a sort of tr- trilogy showing us the power of Jesus. And, uh, and so it's the last one before we, we have a nice little stopping place for the summer. Uh, the first one we saw was Jesus' power over nature. As he calms the raging storm and the, with the disciples in the boat. And the second one we saw last week as uh, Jesus' power over the supernatural realm, including demons, uh, as he rescued a man from demon possession. And so this, this third part of the trilogy, uh, we see two people who represent two extremely different situations in life. One is well off and the other is poor. One is surrounded by family who, who, who loves her and, and who loves the father in the story. Uh, the other one is, is lonely all by herself. One is at the heart of the spiritual community and she is cared for well. The other is ostracized and excluded from the spiritual community. And, and both of these individuals are going to be seeking Jesus in desperation in these two parts of the story today. And, and each of them are going to learn to put their faith into Jesus Christ. So we're going to read it uh, in two sections. I like to do that just so we can keep it fresh. You don't have to remember it too long, uh, at least the details of it. And so I ask you, you follow along with your eyes as I begin reading in Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And all denied it. Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressed in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, we feel for these people. They're not just people in a story, but real people in history. We feel for them. A woman who sought and could not find healing for 12 years. A mother and a father who's... 12-year-old daughter is overrun with sickness to the point of death. We feel for them because we live in the same sinful world. And we know chronic sickness. We know death. We know the pain of suffering. Lord, enlighten our minds to understand your word this morning. Soften our hearts to receive it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right off the bat, in, in both these stories, we've only read one so far, really, but in both of them, we, um, 
We're reminded of just how much misery and suffering that sin has brought into the world. Every time you see sin and, and the results of it in Scripture, even in the world that we live in, we, we, we need to be seeing that sin has brought this into the world. Right? Into this glorious, wonderful world that God has created and that we get to dwell in. And so we're reminded that sin is not our friend. No matter how enticing it might be at times to us, it brings evil into the world. Next thing we see here is that, that Jesus is incredibly famous at this point. Incredibly famous. People were always trying to get near him. He's surrounded by people constantly every time he's out in public. I, I remember uh, many years ago now, I was, went to a Desiring God conference uh, up in Minnesota, uh, a pastor's conference. And, and after John Piper preached, he was waiting off to the side. And it was insane how many people stood in line waiting to talk to him. There was easily more than 100 people waiting to talk to him. And I remember just feeling so sorry for the guy, thinking how exhausting all the different conversations that are about just waiting to be thrown on him at that moment. And then, you know, as I'm thinking this, the, the pastor that I worked for at the time, this is down at, when I was down in Dallas, um, insisted that we get into that line so we can get a picture with him. And I thought, I am part of the problem now. <laughs> what is wrong with me? So yeah, I was so embarrassed by it. When we finally got up to the beginning, I thought, just make this quick and as easy as possible on him. I told him, your writing, you know, your writing's greatly influenced me. Uh, uh, I'll probably name my daughter after you someday. Um, I didn't say that. But I did name my daughter after him. So that's kind of weird. Um, Anyway, there's this mass of people, right, just wanting to talk to a, a guy who's a, a pastor and an author. And, 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 you know, he's not Jesus. You shouldn't need to know that, right? You already do, right? Um, he's not Jesus. He can't heal people. He can't absolve anyone's sin. But, but can you imagine the, the crowd waiting for Jesus when, when, when people think, oh, he can heal us? He's going to do amazing things. And they are. They're waiting for him the second he gets off the boat. And yet in that crowd, amongst all the other things, all the things that people are wanting of Christ, is this one particular man who is currently living out one of his greatest nightmares in life. His 12-year-old daughter, his only daughter, is sick. You can imagine she's back home. She's, uh, she's sweating. She, her breathing is slowing. They've seen this before in other people. They know that, 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 that she's on her way to death, and they can't do anything about it. That's his situation. And he knows unless this changes, his, his sweet little girl is going to die. Uh, if you haven't already experienced a, a nightmare like this in your life, imagine for a moment, you know, what, what is your worst-case scenario? Nightmare, rather. You know, a child, a parent, a sibling, a spouse close to death, and, and you just know there's nothing you can do about it. You can't stop it. I mean, if you can imagine that, you, you know what this father is feeling in this moment. His name's Jairus, and he's the ruler of the synagogue, which, which, which means that really he's the guy who arranges the worship services when they get together. He, he's the guy that says, you know, you're going to pray today and you're going to read today and you're going to in, interpret and, and, and all the different people that are going to do this. And, and really what this is telling us about the man is he's incredibly well respected in this community. In fact, that, that's probably why when there's this huge crowd around Jesus that he's able to get to Jesus. The people there know him and, and so they let him through. They move out of his way. 
But this also tells us just how desperate Jairus is because Jesus was not popular with the religious leaders. You know, many of his peers will be questioning, why in the world is he going to that guy? What's he thinking here? And at the same time, at this point, don't assume that Jairus is a, uh, is a follower of Jesus. Don't assume that he has some great faith in him as his savior. He's, he's not. That's not the situation at this point. He's, he, he's a father of a sick girl who has simply run out of options at this point. He, he's also just like many today who first call out to Jesus. It, it's not in some great love for Jesus, but in some great desperation. In, in other words, here we learn that despair is often the prologue of grace to grace. At Jairus' request, Jesus does agree that he'll go back with them to see his daughter. And, and perhaps this gives him some hope. You know, this guy's healed other people. Maybe he can heal our daughter. But along the way, there's this uh, uh, interruption right off the way, right? There, there's this woman. And, and we don't know her name, but since our author, right, Dr. Luke, who is a doctor, uh, he hasn't signed any HIPAA laws at this point. And so we get to learn all of her medical records, at least the most embarrassing ones for her. She suffered with this chronic sickness, some, some sort of uterine hemorrhaging that she has had for 12 years. And, and this means a lot more than just, just the medical aspects. It, it tells us she's unable to have children. It tells us also that she's lonely. It tells us that because, you know, you see her chronic bleeding meant, meant that she was ceremonially unclean under the Jewish law at the time. Which meant... That she couldn't be involved in, in corporate worship. She, she couldn't even touch somebody. Or, or they would become ceremonially unclean as well. Not even a hug from a friend. As simple as that. That's the kind of isolation she's facing. Now, we are no longer under those civil laws. But those who suffer with chronic illness today still often feel socially isolated. Because of so many limitations that come with it, right? Limitations about meals and things you can eat, about travel, about uh, physical activities you can do, all sorts of things that just make them feel isolated in many ways. This, this poor woman here, you, you, you probably picture her old at this point, don't you? I know when we initially read this, it's kind of just the way you think. It's, it's more likely that she's still fairly young, somewhere in her 20s. And, and we believe that because Jesus calls her daughter and, and when he, you know, affectionately. And you just wouldn't do this in this culture unless the person was younger than you. Which tells us she's most likely somewhere in her, her 20s since Jesus is in his early 30s at this point. And so this, this woman then has been seeking healing for years. And, and, and it tells, Luke tells us that she spent all of her money, all of her savings, right? To try to get some sort of healing. And, and you've got to understand that, that, that medical treatment at this point in history was more like a potions class at Hogwarts than it was any sort of medicine as we know it today. See, the, the Talmud is this collection of Jewish writings and, uh, at the time. And it prescribes um, for chronic bleeding like this woman has. Here's the prescription. Uh, boil Persian onions, boil them in wine. You can see this is getting good. And then have her drink the wine while, while someone says to her out loud, arise from thy flux. Flux just means flow. Um, that's the treatment that's been prescribed. It, it's likely that at some point she has actually handed over money for someone to make her drink boiled onion wine while they say this to her. Now, we can laugh at that, right? Because we've advanced so far in our medical understanding today. 
right? Leaps and bounds. And, and yet we still find ourselves in situations today where medical treatment is just as powerless as this onion conco- concoction here. Just as powerless to, to stop our particular suffering. And it goes wider than that, right? In a wider sense. We, we have spiritual as well as physical problems that we simply cannot fix. So, so you can imagine then that, that when this woman hears about Jesus, this guy that's healing people, wherever she was, she finds a way to get to Jesus because she's thinking, this could be my solution. This could be what finally heals me. And so she enters into this crowd believing it, that if I can just touch the man, I'll be healed. But she's not Jairus, so she can't get very close to Jesus. And at at some point, though, she gets behind him and she reaches out and she touches the fringe of his robe and something happens. Immediately, she's healed. I know, you you wonder, how does she know, right? Somehow, she can feel that she's healed. Some strange supernatural power has gone through her. Somehow, she knows it. And at the same point that that this is happening and she knows she's healed, at the same point, Jesus stops and he says out loud, who was it that touched me? And everyone's quick, right? Not me. I didn't touch you. Everyone's denying. And and so then Peter, I just, I love Peter because he says what the rest of us are thinking. And he probably regrets most of it later. But he says, Master, the, the crowds surround you are pressing in on you. What he means is this, you know, what do you mean who touched you? There's at least a half dozen people pushed around you right now. It's like if 15 people shout your name and you turn around, who said my name? Which one of you? You know, a bunch of people did. All those people. And still the bigger question here is, does Jesus really not know who touched him? Did this healing happen without deliberate intent as though, you know, Jesus is walking around and just healing shoots out of him without him knowing this is going on? It's actually possible. Maybe God the Father caused this healing to happen. So, So sure, it's possible. But more likely, Jesus willed this healing particular. Most likely, he knows exactly who touched him as well as how many heads are upon her head. It's more likely that the question is asked for the sake of the woman and for the sake of the crowd that's going on around here. It's a bit like the Garden of Eden. You remember after eating the, the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve, they hide themselves from God, uh, you know, trying to get away. And, and God shows up and he says, where are you? God knows where they are. That, that, that wasn't the question. He's asking this, this question to, them, to point out, look, you're hiding from me. You've never done this before. He asks it so he can have this conversation with them that's, that's going to point out what's, what's going on here. And Jesus' purpose here is going to come clear to us when we answer another question about this situation. And the question is this, why does the woman panic? Well, why is she so secretive to begin with? Well, first of all, she's not supposed to be in the crowd. Remember, she's, you know, everyone she touched along this way is going to become ceremonially unclean, including Jesus, who she intentionally has touched. Including the man who is now saying out loud, who touched me? Right? She, She feels the, you know, for one, she's mortified. For two, she is terrified that she's going to be in trouble with the Jewish leaders. And remember who's walking with Jesus at this point? The head of the synagogue. 
You know, Jairus is right next to Jesus. Perhaps she also fears, you know, you can maybe imagine this, that, that Jesus is going to take away this healing because she disobeyed the Jewish law. And she's just experienced healing for the first moments of her life in, in 12 years. Now listen, Jesus is not trying to embarrass her. That's not what's going on here. He, he's not ratting her out to the Jewish popo. He, 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 that's not what's happening here. Jesus is asking who touched him for three reasons. These are the three reasons. First, because he wants to restore her to the community. Yes, she's been shunned. A lot of us see that and think, why would she even want to be part of that community? She does. That is the community of God's people. She wants to be restored to it. And in order for her to be restored, the people in that community, people need to know that she has been healed. It needs to be known to these people. And that is an incredibly awkward conversation to have. We, we, we don't generally know all the things that people are suffering with. Um, I, I bet there are people in this room that are suffering with things that the rest of us have absolutely no clue about. Because they just don't want to go around shouting it out. And, and this woman's particular issue is very embarrassing for her to talk about in a public space. And so God arranges to make her public healing known. Right? That's going to protect her. She hasn't, she hasn't made anyone unclean in this regard. In fact, Christ has made her clean. She, she knows she can't hide. So, so then trembling in fear, she falls down at Jesus' feet. And we read in verse 47, she declared in the presence of all the people, right? Here it is publicly, why she had touched him and how she had been made immediately healed. Restores her. The second reason is that, that Jesus draws attention to her touching him is, is to strengthen her faith. And this is a huge part of this. So, so far, her faith has not been or ideal, has it? I mean, think about this. It, it's really nothing more than superstition at this point. If I can touch this guy, I will be healed. It's just superstition. I mean, it works, but we're going to see why here in a minute, right? She, you know, if she leaves now, though, she's going to continue to think of this, of this whole thing happening only in terms of superstition. Now, now Jesus can't tell, uh, you know, now Jesus can tell her, daughter, your faith has made you well. And so by telling her it was faith, he's correcting her superstitious assumptions so far. And what do we know about her faith? Well, one, we know it's incredibly imperfect. Right? And yet we know that she honored Christ with it. Jesus is glorified even by this woman's infant faith. It's the same today. When, when people come to faith in Christ, their, their understanding of God and salvation is often full of errors. It's full of wrong assumptions. Oodles of inconsistency left and right. I mean, think about your own life. How, how many of us believe that we had on our own autonomous will chosen to have faith in Christ? How many of us believe that, that the sinner's prayer was actually the cause of our salvation? How, how, how many of us have been growing up in the face with had, had faulty understanding of the Trinity or a terrible view of grace or a wrong view of works or any other uh, inconsistency or theological error along the way? I'd be willing to bet every one of us have had those kind of errors. See, a, a fuzzy face, faith a fuzzy faith at the start might be the first sprout of a faith that's going to grow into a mighty oak tree as the Lord providentially nourishes that faith over a lifetime. 
Let this be a reminder to us, church, that everyone is at a different point in their spiritual development, their maturity, their growth. And so be patient with believers who are younger and less mature, less knowledgeable than you might be. Be patient. Let, let, let's be careful to encourage instead of crushing people when, when they say something that's less ideal, when they say something that, that is there. Uh, whatever the setting, Sunday school, side conversation, Bible study, whatever. Certainly do teach biblical truth. Certainly do correct when necessary. But let's do it with patience towards each other, you know. When, when, when a six-year-old tells you, you know, the, the electricity in the house is magic, you, you don't bark at the magic? Are you stupid? You know, you, you're patient with that. You, you explain it to the best you're able to. Explain electricity to a six-year-old, which is not an easy task. Um, but let's, let's do the same thing with younger brothers and sisters in Christ, with, with kindness and, and patience to, to show correction and teach. You know, praise, praise the Lord that we don't have to have perfect theology to have genuine saving faith. Yes, we want to be growing and understanding the Lord always, but it's not, you know, praise the Lord that it's, we don't have to be there already. The uh, third reason that Jesus calls her out among the crowd is, is to give her this opportunity to glorify God who has healed her. Uh, some people, you've probably met them in your life, maybe you've been them in your life at times, think that their faith is just a private thing. Not to be talked about to anyone at all. It's just my own personal privacy. Well, Jesus receives that about as well as a, a girl who has been asked to be the secret girlfriend might receive that. It, you can imagine. Uh, in Matthew 10.32, Jesus says this. He says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is not anyone's secret Savior. And Jesus gives her this opportunity to publicly glorify him as her Savior. And she does so beautifully. Amazingly. She, she's now restored to her community. Her faith is strengthened. And she has a relationship with her Savior. And, and, who then speaks to her these comforting words uh, to her anxious heart. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Faith, peace. Faith, peace. It's always and only faith in Jesus that brings anyone to a place of peace with God. In fact, that's the central theme of the gospel. We, we don't conjure up faith ourselves. We receive it from God, but that doesn't change the fact that faith is a necessary response to the message of the gospel. And faith is necessary as we trust Jesus day by day, moment by moment, until he returns and our faith can become actual sight. So I hope you still have your Bibles open. We're going to read that next section here, starting in verse 49, and hear the rest of the story here. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with them except Peter and John and James, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her... By the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. 
and her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And so Jesus has been talking to this woman he's just healed, and you kind of forgot it's going on, but there's Jairus off to the side, anxiously wishing Jesus would just hurry. Come on, my daughter, we got to hurry, we got to hurry. We don't have time for this. In fact, that might be one of the reasons that Jesus addresses this adult woman as daughter. It's just a, a way to remind Jairus standing next to him that she too is somebody's daughter who, who needs healing. Regardless, we, we, we can understand his desire to rush, his, his great fear that Jesus will not get to his daughter in, trouble, in time. And, and then comes word from his house, Jesus is, is too late, isn't he? His daughter has already died. I kind of wonder, is he upset at Jesus for delaying? Is he upset at this, this woman for, for being there even, just stopping this? We, we, we don't know. But, but we can imagine he's experiencing just a tsunami of grief that crashes over everyone when someone they love dearly has died. And the messengers thought, you know, that Jesus could heal, but they have no idea that he can raise someone from the dead. And, and so they say, don't bother him. And then we see Jesus give Jairus this impossible task. Impossible. He says, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Honestly, I, I, I read that. And I'm kind of surprised Jairus doesn't just go off on Jesus right then. Do, do, do not fear. My worst nightmare has just come true. You know, believe and she'll be well. Are you, are you dense? She's dead, Jesus. She's dead. You, you kind of expect him to go off, and he, he doesn't respond that way. See, our Lord is doing something in Jairus' life here that only he can do. As Augustine once prayed, O oh, oh Lord, command that what you will and give what you command. The Lord gives faith to Jairus to believe Jesus when he says that his daughter will be well. You see, faith is the antithesis of fear. As, as fear strengthens, so faith weakens. But as faith strengthens, fear weakens. We, we need faith always for trusting Jesus. We, we need God, or when we need God to vindicate us, when we fear that we won't be provided for. We, we need faith for medical nightmares of all sorts, for every anxious moment in our life. We, we need the faith that God provides. We need to exercise it. See, as the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 26, 3, he said, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Jairus, or here Jesus tells Jairus to trust that his dead daughter would be well. Literally in the Greek, that his dead daughter would be saved. And they arrive at his house, and you have this confusion, right? Is it who's in there with them? Is it just the four of them or just the, the small group he mentions or the mourners still in there? Either way, there's this surprise, right? Because um, he says the girl is only sleeping. And so there's this laughter by those who are gathered together here. As if, you know, Jesus, have you lost your mind? You know, maybe, maybe they want to say, sir, we, we know what death is. We, we've seen death before. We're not ignorant. We've not mistaken. This girl is dead. Now, 
don't get confused here. The girl is indeed dead. She's not sleeping. Jesus knows she's not sleeping. Jesus knows she's dead. There are two reasons then why Jesus says this, that she's sleeping. And the first reason is because he doesn't want everyone knowing that he can bring a dead body back to life. Not yet. That, that's why he's only letting a few people witness this miracle. That's why he's telling them, don't tell anyone about this. Maybe because it would be like, you know, when people find out you have a pickup truck and suddenly everybody wants you to move them, right? Can you imagine if people find out you can raise their dead loved ones back to life? He wouldn't be able to go anywhere again. Or maybe it's just because it's not time for people to know this about him. And the second reason that Jesus says she's asleep is because as far as he's concerned, she is just asleep. That's the difference between our perspective and Christ's perspective, right? Because what we can do and what he can do, because Jesus can wake a child from death as easily as you and I can wake a child from a nap. That's the reality. And and here we see death from Jesus' perspective. That's why Jairus could believe his daughter would be well, because going with them is the only one who's stronger than death. That's why. So then Jesus reunites her soul with her body. Luke Luke just summarizes the words of Christ here um, in in Greek. But Mark in 541 records the actual words as they're spoken in Aramaic. And Jesus says, uh, Talitha kumi, which just means little girl, I I say to you, arise. Can you imagine this moment when, when, when she comes back to life right before their eyes, just trying to catch their breath while they're sobbing in shock at what they're witnessing? And Jesus calls, someone feed this girl. That's such a weird little inclusion. And then why, why in the world do you have it in there? He does it because when medicine is healing someone, it's a slow progress as they come back to life. They don't eat right away. It's really slow. But when Jesus raises her from the dead, it's immediate, right? She's, she's not getting well. At this point, she is perfectly well. I've often wondered what they said to the people outside the room. All these people knew the girl was dead. and Well, turns out she was sleeping. I mean, what, do, what do you say to those people? That's one of those things where I think in eternity it will be great just to sit down and ask people. So what did, he say, what did they say to you when you came? You know, anyone they were able to talk to. Uh, last thing here. Uh, don't miss that this is a story of, of two salvations. We, we see physical life come to a physically dead daughter. But we also see spiritual life come to a spiritually dead father. At least in terms of Christ. So only Jesus can provide both kinds of life here. Uh, unless Jesus returns first, we will all die. 100% of us. 100%. You look around this room, every single one of us will die, no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter how healthy, no matter how unhealthy. But, but Jesus can heal us from sin. He can save us from the eternal wrath that we have worked, you know, tirelessly in some regards to earn for ourselves uh, as sinners. He can redeem us forever. And he does so the, by grace through faith. And now we could get into the theology behind how God gives faith. But instead, this morning, I, I want to encourage you this. That you do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. Just like we saw in both of these stories today. Make him the single priority of your life. Uh, Apart from Jesus, we are not asleep. We are dead. And so make knowing Jesus the primary pursuit of your life. 
And finally, I know I already said finally. This is the finally final. Uh, Jerry Bridges has some advice, advice on how to think about whether we have faith. He says this. He says, don't ask, do I have faith? Ask rather, do I believe the promises of God? Do I believe Jesus has died for my sins? Do, do I believe the Holy Spirit now dwells in me? Do I believe that Jesus is preparing a place in eternity for me in his eternal kingdom? And so on and so on with the promises of God. If you believe the promises of God, it is because God has gifted you with faith. And if you have faith, be grateful to the Lord and exercise that faith daily. If you don't, pursue the Lord who is kind and who can give you faith, who can redeem you. Let's pray. Good and gracious Father. When we face suffering, there is only one place we can find comfort. One place we can find hope to be healed. And one place we can go to find rest. Knowing that even when our life ends in death, we will continue to live in your presence. Because you have secured a future eternity where death and sickness, like unicorns in this world, are merely ideas. Lord, for those who are suffering today... Draw us close to you. Be a comfort to them, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.